All right, so we're, um, last time we left off, we were kind of in the middle of Acts 24, so I don't want to go through, um, you know, the whole beginning of the chapter again, but I do want to start out by kind of setting the tone for the rest of the time that we'll be in Acts, because uh, really, uh, really think it's important for us to grab hold of something that I think Paul understood and really saw him through all of the trials and all the tribulations that he went through. And um, that the, the thought that I'd like for you to kind of keep with you as we go through the rest of the book is God is in control. God is in control. Um, you know, I want you to think about this and just um, how Paul uh, was just so aware of God being in control. And you know, I think that it, it's going to help us when we kind of remind ourselves, really, who's in control today? You know, who's calling the shots? You know, God is still in control. God is still calling the shots. God's still directing things. God is still um, leading and guiding his church. And, um, you know, we need to to really come to terms with that or else we could get discouraged, distracted, thinking that, um, you know, the federal government is in charge. You know, in some sense, they, obviously they, they are. But in the bigger scheme of things, uh, they're not. And that's, you know, really, Paul, Paul just, in his mind, he had to be so convinced that, that God was in control. And God went out of his way to um, to show Paul that he was in control. I mean, he he um, you know he spoke to Paul's heart. You know, obviously, um, you know Paul's fellowship with the Lord was just so close knit. And um, you know, all of this stuff is available for us. You know, he was the Apostle Paul. You know, he was um, you know an awesome awesome example. But you know what, guys, don't sell yourself short. You can have a, a, a just a fruitful um, a relationship, a growing and vibrant relationship with the Lord as well. So, you know, we're, we've been seeing that, you know, it's the, the, the Jewish establishment, the, the Sanhedrin, you know, always, you know, out to get Paul. But, you know, the reality was they weren't fighting with Paul. They were fighting against God. And I don't think they caught on with that. I mean, you would think if they would have, you know, they would have, would have dawned on them like, wow, this is um, just not going to work out well for us. And, you know, guys, it's, you know, there's so many, the application is so obvious for us today. You know, it seems like, oh, the government's against the church and, you know, this, these folks are against the church. You know, they're not, they're not fighting with us. They're resisting God. You know, and we, like Paul, just need to stay faithful. You know, and that's what Paul wasn't trying to, um, you know, stir things up in a sense to get a, any limelight on him or any attention on him. He was just doing what God told him to do. And we're going to see that before we jump into, um, into chapter 24. So remember, God is always working, even though it seems like um, the Jews and the Romans are calling the shots. They're not. And like I said, the application today 
is that God is in control regardless of what we see, whether it's Fox News or CNN or any channel you watch or anything you hear. Um, God is still on the throne and he's still in control. So by way of review, excuse me, I just want to quickly look at um, what I believe is part of the reason, well, the reason why Paul is so confident. God spoke into Paul's life. He believed it, and he just stepped out on it, right? Faith is believing the word of God and acting on it, no matter how I feel, because God promises a good result. And basically, that's what Paul did. Acts 9, verses 6, and then verse 15, when Paul, obviously, on the road to Damascus. So it says, So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go in the city, and you will be told what you must do. And then in verse 15 it says, But the Lord said to him, Go, and now he's dialoguing with Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. So we've seen Paul do all of that. He went to the Jew first, then his primary call was to the Gentiles. And now, as we have been looking in the latter part of Acts, he's going before these government officials. So he's right on track with what God told him was going to happen and what he called him to do. I really believe in my heart that that really, you know, that, that's something that Paul really held on to. And, you know, I just want to encourage you guys, hold on to the word of God. Hold on to it no matter what anybody tells you or what anybody, you know, what you might even be seeing. Hold on to the word of God because that's what's the truth. That's the truth. That's the truth of the matter, right? That's the foundation that Paul built his life on, and that's what the foundation we're building our lives on. That's what this church is built on, the word of God, plain and simple, line upon line, precept upon precept, chapter after chapter, book after book. If God said it, that settles it. And that's what Paul, you know, was building his relationship with the Lord on. And then, if you, we looked at this, I think the last time we were in Acts, Acts 23, 11, Paul is going through a lot of changes, you know. Um, you know, the Jews are making these false accusations against him. Um, you know, he's, in one instance, I think it was in chapter 22, um, Lysias, the centurion, had to go down and pull him out of the crowd because they were trying to pull him in pieces. Now think about that. You know, we saw all of the craziness in the 2020 riots. Could you imagine being in the middle of something like that and people just pulling your arms and your legs? And, you know, they were, they were trying to pull Paul apart. So he's gone through a lot. Now he's sitting in a jail cell waiting to go to Caesarea to see Felix. And in verse 20, chapter 23, verse 11, it says, but the, but the following night the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, you must also bear witness at Rome. So probably at one of the lowest points of Paul's life, really, in prison again, in in prison in Jerusalem, thinking that, you know, he, he was convinced that the Lord had called him to go to Jerusalem, right? He had that offering. He's, you know, he's 
he's really convinced he's in the center of God's will. Um, and here he is now, he's in jail again. And, you know, God meets us in those lonely, dark places. And that's what he did for Paul. You know, Paul needed, Paul needed to hear that he was on the right track. And I think that we need to hear that too. So I'm going to ask you a question, though. How does, you know, Paul, obviously, um, he, he had to kind of be alone. They put him in a jail cell. All right, so that's kind of obvious. But think about it. And I'm guilty of this myself. How, how much time do we actually spend alone with the Word and just praying and just seeking the Lord? And, you know, and, and not for any, you know, not looking for some spe- specific word or not, you know, maybe that would be the need that you would be there for. But just to hear from God, just to spend some time with Him, just to, to just get closer to Him work on your relationship. So, you know, Paul, um, Paul knew how to, that was, that was something that Paul obviously knew how to do. The Lord encouraged Paul not to be afraid. Why? Because God was in control. God was in control. God told him, you were a good witness here in Jerusalem. Now you have to go to Rome. And you know the rest of the book of Acts. Going to Rome wasn't on a, you know, a cruise ship you know, leaving, um, you know, Jerusalem and headed right straight to Rome. Um, you know, it's going to be an interesting ride and, and trip to Rome for Paul. So it was a, really the message that Paul got from the Lord was a message of comfort and encouragement. It was also a message of commendation, like, good job, Paul. You're right on track. Just keep going. You're going to Rome next. And, you know, those are the kind of pats on the back you want. When the Lord pats you on the back and says, hey, good job. Good job, son. Good job, daughter. You're doing great. You're right on track. You know, just keep going. You know, and that's, um, that was part of this message for Paul. You know, we have to keep in mind that, you know, the Lord was pleased with Paul's testimony. You know, and that, that's, that was really, that was great for Paul. But we need to remember that the outcome is God's responsibility. Okay, being a faithful witness is our responsibility, and the outcome is up to God. Okay, and the last uh, part of that little message is that it was a message of confidence, that God was confident that Paul was going to continue on and go to Rome. So in all of this, the Lord was with him and fulfilling his plan to get, you know, Paul uh, to Rome. And, of course, the application for us is that God is going to remain faithful and be active and act a part of um, the call that he has on your life. You know, and when we're, um, when we're wondering about that or questioning that, you know, we, like Paul, we just got to get alone with the Lord. So important. So let's pick up in Acts 24, kind of give you a little bit of, backdrop of what I think, you know, Paul is going through, Um, you know, at this point. And another thing that kind of stuck out in my mind, and we'll see it here, is Paul is, Paul is, you know, just presenting the facts. 
when you know he's talking about these accusations, and if you remember the last time, there were these these four um, these these four accusations that they made against Paul, and he's in the middle of disproving the last one of them. But you know, Paul is, you know, he's just telling them the way it is. It does, you know, he doesn't appear to be worked up, angry. You know, he's just stating the facts, and I just uh, I just appreciate that. I just appreciate that part of Paul. So in verses 20 and 21 of chapter 24, it says, Or else let those, now what Paul is talking about, there is that, if you remember, there's that group of um, Jews from Asia who had come down to Jerusalem and claimed that they saw Paul in the temple with Tremophius, who was, who was a, you know, a Gentile, and there was this great uproar, and they dragged Paul out, and that's, you know, that's when Lysias had to come back and uh, save him again. And Paul is addressing this now um, to Felix. So he says, or else let those who are here, because the, 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 the group from Asia didn't show up for the trial. So Paul says, all right, let those who are here themselves say if they have found any wrongdoing in me while I stood before the council." Unless it is for this one statement which I cried out, standing among them, concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you this day. So Paul is challenging those Jews who were present to state clearly, okay, what crimes he has been proved guilty of, you know, standing before the council in Jerusalem. And basically, you know, they're, they flipped out because Paul was talking about the resurrection of the dead. And that's what he's telling Felix. He said, you know, I'm here concerning the resurrection of the dead. And belief in the resurrection wasn't a crime, right? I mean, obviously the, the Sanhedrin or the Sadducees and the Pharisees didn't agree on it. Um, you know, but Paul wasn't responsible for their disagreement. That happened long before Paul ever showed up on the scene, right? And According to Rome, believing in the resurrection of, of the dead wasn't a crime. So Paul is saying, you know, how could I be guilty of any of this? So Paul is telling Felix that the real issue really is, though, the resurrection. And the resurrection is at the very heart of the gospel message, right? We know that. Christ died for our sins, was buried, and was raised again on the third day. And think about this. Paul is writing this, and... He's already written 1 Corinthians probably three or four years ago back in A.D. 55. And listen to what Paul wrote about the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 8. It says, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, all of whom the greater part remained to this present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me, also as, one, as by one born of due time. Uh, J. Vernon McGee said, in fact, I think, of Christianity as an arch supported by two pillars. One pillar, the death of Christ, 
and the other pillar, the resurrection of Christ. Without one or the other, the arch would fall. So to sum it up, Paul's case, he's saying those things in the accusation that were criminal, about that were criminal charges against him, weren't true. And those things in the accusation that were true were not criminal. So Paul basically is saying that, you know, I'm innocent of all these charges. So Felix, he procrastinates, right? In verse 22, he says, but when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, he adjourned the proceedings and said, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will make a decision on your case. So keep in mind, Felix is married to Drusilla, who, who was Jewish, so he has... Uh, probably a lot of probably knows a lot about the Jewish faith. A lot of uh, what Paul was sharing, what is happening. He probably has a good understanding of all of that. And you know, Felix is just uh, being a politician because at this point, um, if he make you know really no decision would be a good decision. So he he just doesn't make a decision. He puts it off. He puts it off. And, you know, it's interesting because he, it's funny what he, he says he's going to wait for Lysias to come down from Jerusalem. And once he talks to him, he'll kind of get things straightened out and then make a decision. But th there's nowhere in history or in the text that we're looking at that he ever sent for Lysias to come down to Caesarea. You know, so you think about it. I mean, really... All, all that Lysias would do is back up or just reiterate what his report said when he sent um, Paul to, to Felix. So it's just a smooth move. You know, he wants to, you know, stand the good side with, you know, the Jewish leadership, the community. So he's, um, he's going to just leave Paul. Um, he's going to leave Paul in jail. In verse 23, it says, So he commanded the centurion to keep Paul, and to let him have liberty, and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for or visit him. So, you know, Paul is really, this is the grace of God. You know, some people would look at this and say, oh, gee, what a nice guy Felix is. You know, what, you know how he's treating Paul, you know, with all this grace. But really, that's just the Lord, you know, working through Felix. You know, God is going to take good care of Paul. If you remember when he had to go from Jerusalem down to Caesarea and they got word that there was going to be this ambush, if you guys remember, it was 470 soldiers, Roman soldiers, made sure first that he got to Antipatris safely and then another 70 went with him to Caesarea. I mean, when God, God is in control and God is going to take good care of Paul because Paul needs to get to Rome. And on the way to Rome, there's some things that Paul has to do on the way there. But never, I mean, if, would you ever think that Paul would be on his way to Rome and get, you know, shipwrecked on this little island? And yeah, I mean, it's just what's going to happen is amazing. And it's been encouraging to me because regardless of what I see going on in my life or I see going on in the world, you know, at the end of the day, I can look around and say, okay, God, you know, you're still in control. So, and I'm still here on this planet, 
So, um, you know, I guess it's, you know, we're going to get at it again tomorrow morning. And that's the way our life should be that simple. And when you look at Paul and you, you, you look at a man who was just determined, just determined to follow through with what God put on his heart. And God was there every step of the way, every step of the way. Do you think it was just a coincidence that Paul's nephew happened to overhear this whole thing about the ambush when they were going to take him to Caesarea? And some of the stuff that we're going to read in a couple minutes. You know, God is there every step of the way. It's just amazing. So, you know, and one thing, and this is, this is something that is really uh, pretty cool for us to apply to our lives. You know, Paul wasn't a prisoner of Rome. I don't think Paul ever perceived that. Because in Ephesians he wrote, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. You know, I really believe that Paul saw himself as a prisoner of Christ. Right? He was a prisoner of the Lord. He was, you know, he might have been in a Roman prison and he might have been um, on his way to appeal to Caesar. But he was still, he was captive to Christ. He was captive to Christ, imprisoned with Christ. It's awesome. Verse 24, and, some, and after some days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. So Felix must have been away on some trip with his wife. They came back, and um, he wants to talk to Paul about Jesus Christ, about faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Drusilla is an interesting girl, and, you know, I guess historians, I don't know how accurate, you know, some historians, I guess, are more accurate than others, but this is what I found about Drusilla. She's the youngest daughter of Agrippa I, who had James executed in Acts 12, and the sister of Agrippa II, who we're going to see in the next chapter, her great-uncle, Herod Antipas, had John the Baptist executed. We heard a lot about John the Baptist this morning. And her great-grandfather, Herod the Great, tried to kill Jesus at birth. She's Felix's third wife, and at the time of Paul's hearing, um, she's just turned 20 years old. So this, this girl's been around at a very young age, married and just a pretty crazy family. But she's Felix's wife, and uh, they're going to get together with Paul and talk about the faith of Jesus Christ. So in verse 25, it says, Now as he reasoned, Paul, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. I will call for you. So obviously Paul is um, not flattering this guy. He's just speaking the truth in love. And uh, there's a lot going on in um, Felix's life, a lot of things that have gone on in his life that, you know, now he's being confronted um, with righteousness, self-control, and judgment that has really got him in a fearful state. So think about this. You know, Felix and Drusilla, they're, you know, they're pretty 
influential, really exalted position. Um, you know, they probably would have never attended a church, you know, in which the gospel was preached. So yet here these two have a, a great opportunity given to them. You know, God extending his grace into their lives. A private meeting with probably the greatest preacher ever. Here they got a private meeting with the Apostle Paul. And God gives them a private sermon. Their palace becomes a church. And what a picture of the grace of God to give Felix and Drusilla this opportunity to hear the gospel. Their time of salvation has arrived. The door to the kingdom was opened, and they had their opportunity to enter. But we see in Psalm 2, verses 10 through 12, it says, Now therefore be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are, blessed are all those who put their trust in the Lord. You know, and it's just amazing, um, you know, the Lord's um, and his anointing being mercifully, you know, providing repentance to us. And Felix and his wife have this opportunity. But it appears that um, they heard Paul with a lot of interest. So Felix could have made a decision right then and there um, to serve the Lord, right, to accept the gospel. But because of the conviction... He tells Paul that this isn't a convenient time. We're going to have to come back later. But I think we all know um, that the sinner is never going to find or have a convenient time to hear the gospel. Right? Man doesn't set the time. God does. And I think all of us here can relate to that. Right? Because uh, God showed up or somebody showed up to share the gospel with us. It wasn't like we had it planned. Right? You know, like we made an appointment for somebody to knock on our door and share the gospel with us. I know for me, I didn't have a plan. Somebody knocked on my door and told me that God loved me. And being a good Catholic, I didn't believe that because being a Catholic and living the way I was, I knew that God, I mean, I just I thought God just had enough of me. But, you know, the point is that you know, when opportunity knocks, and it's the Lord, um, answer. Answer. And, you know, to think that Felix and Drusilla had this opportunity uh, to get saved, and they let, um, they let the conviction um, keep them from it. And I know that it almost seems weird, because you would think when somebody points out your issue and tells you there's a solution for it, that there's a way out of that, that you would run toward that. So just interesting. But So it says that Paul reasoned with them concerning righteousness, self-control, and judgment. So righteousness, obviously the righteousness of the law, which man cannot attain. The law reveals that man is a sinner and can't even present a legal um, case for righteousness that would be acceptable to God. So the sinner must have a standing of legal righteousness before God, and he can't even provide that for himself. So God provides it for him in Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is trying to get across 
to Felix and Trusilla. Isaiah 61.10 talks about being clothed, uh, covered with the robes of righteousness, all right? As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with jewels, but clothed and covered in the righteousness of God. You know, through the cross, through accepting Christ, we're clothed in the righteousness of God. And in Romans 3, 3 verses 20, verse 22, it says, Even the righteousness of God, which is by, by faith, is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. There is no difference. You know, the righteousness of God. Paul is telling these guys that there is righteousness in Christ. They didn't have to follow the law. You know, he's sharing the, the gospel with them. He's sharing the faith of Jesus Christ with them. And they're just turning away from that. You know, and think, Paul wrote Romans just about, probably just before this encounter with Felix. You know, it's interesting. All of this stuff is just um, so fresh and so real in Paul's heart. You know, he's, he's hearing this stuff from the Lord. It's all a part of the message that he's sharing. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing to think that he's sharing something that the Lord just gave him, this reality, this truth. You know, and talk about walking in the newness of life and just the freshness of the word. I mean, Paul literally is, is walking in the spirit. I mean, it's, it's really incredible to think that um, when you start l trying to put this thing in uh, some type of chronological order, the, the way this is all happening. So Paul reasoned with Felix about righteousness, um, which he could not meet, and the righteousness of Christ that Christ provided for him. And yet he still um, rejects it. Paul talked to him about self-control. And, you know, Felix was... Uh, Probably um, self-control wasn't even a thought in his mind. Felix was a, mast was a man mastered by passion and cruelty. Um, these two, both Felix and Drusilla, great sinners living in sin, didn't know what real freedom was. They were just in bondage to sin. So self-control was, wasn't, wasn't even an option. It didn't seem in Felix's life and Drusilla. And then Paul spoke about judgment to come, which is the final judgment at the great white throne um, judgment in Revelation. So to summarize it, God demands righteousness of all men because he's holy, right? Our righteousness is found in Christ and in the gospel. And maybe Felix couldn't put that together. It's kind of hard to believe that Paul wouldn't have explained it right. But for whatever reason, just turn down um, this opportunity um, to, to hear the gospel and respond to it. It says that Felix was afraid. So, you know, I could see, so could see why he's living with a woman, a woman that he lured away from her husband. Um, he obviously lacked righteousness and self-control. The realization that he faced judgment alarmed him, and he hastily dismissed Paul when I have a convenient time. And it says that he did have more opportunities to call him back, but that was more to just try to get a bribe from him, to try to, you know, get a bribe so he'd let him go. So the verse that came to my mind um, was Second Corinthians 
6, verse 2. It says, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And obviously, um, all of you have gotten to that place in your life where you have uh, bowed your knee uh, to the Lord. So, you know, that's, you know, but that's, uh, that's a message that people need to hear. It's a, me a message that people really need to hear. Uh, so here is um, some awesome news. And for us, it's old news, but it's still awesome news. And um, it's good news for those who hear it and experience it for the first time. But if your sins are on Christ, if you've put your trust in him, then he paid the penalty for your sins over 2,000 years ago. Um, they did not lie if they do not lie ahead of you for judgment in the future, and that's something that um, Felix was thinking about. All of that stuff that he did, there was judgment waiting for him at the end of his life, not knowing that all of that could have been put under the blood. But if your sins today are still on you, then there is yet a judgment to come. So, and that's where. Felix and Drusella were, Drusella were living. They were, um, they had no, um, they, just, they just couldn't believe the message. They couldn't believe the message, and they were more concerned about that judgment to come. So in verse 26, it says, Meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul, that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him often and conversed with him. Verse 27, but after two years, Prochorus Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. So Felix seemed to have recognized Paul's innocence, but tragically he was more concerned about gaining the favor of the Jews than administering justice. And, um, you know, he leaves Paul in, um, in custody um, in Caesarea for another two years. And it's interesting. Um, you know, politics hasn't really changed that much. You know, and it's, um, it's not about administering justice. It's about how your constituents can help you. You know, it seems like everything is just turned right around. So it's really nothing is new under the sun. You know, we shouldn't be surprised by some of the things that we see today. You know, unregenerate man is still unregenerate man. So if, he, if he's being unregenerate in a robe and sandals and some leafy thing around his head, or he's in a $1,000 suit, what difference does it make? You know, it doesn't make a difference because, you know what, God is still in control. God is still calling the shots, you know, and we should, um, I, I, it's funny, this thing came to my mind, this, this old phrase that um, the electrician at work used to say, but I'm not even going to, it's just, you know, what can you, it's just, you know, why wouldn't you expect something like that from unregenerate man? Why, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised about some of the stuff that you see and the stuff that you hear. But God is still in control. God is still in control. So Acts 25, and we'll get into this a little bit, and then we'll, we'll, um, we'll call it a night. 
So it's, you know, and I've, I've kind of referred to the book of Acts and going through it um, almost as like a, a weekly, um, like a weekly TV show. Because, you know, you get to, you know, you get to a point like on Sunday nights. The first Sunday night I get to share, but at, you know, so at the end, like that's the end of the show. And then we got to wait until, you know, the first Sunday night again. So it's the same thing. The drama and, and um, new, we got a new guy, a new face, right? Festus instead of Felix. Um, new guy in town running the show. Um, but it's the same old thing. It's the same old story. Same, you know, another politician just trying to make um, the constituents happy um, and just kind of sloughing off the, the right thing to do. But, you know, Festus wanted to win the favor of the Jews just like Felix did. So his approach was a little different, um, but still uh, with, with that, still with that kind of political air to it. So, um, yeah, so I put the drama continues as Festus takes over. And basically that's the same thing. Let's read, um, let's read the first three verses of chapter 25. Now when Festus had come to the province, after three days, he went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the chief, and the chief men of the Jews uh, informed him against Paul, and they petitioned him, asking a favor against him, that he would summon him to Jerusalem while they lay in ambush along the road to kill him. So it's interesting, before, when Paul was going to come from Jerusalem to um, Caesarea, it was a, a band of other out, people outside of the Sanhedrin or the council that were going to kill him. Now it's, um, you know, the chief men and the high priest. Now they're the ones that are plotting to kill Paul. You know, and it was, it just, it's a, it's a relentless thing. It's just, they're out to get Paul. So, you know, the whole thing is, Kill Paul had been the cry of the unbelieving Jews ever since Paul arrived at Jerusalem. However, Festus, he's, he's new on the scene, so he doesn't even know what's going on yet. So the situation is growing more serious, and now it's the council itself that's trying to plot um, to kill Paul. So in verses 4 and 5, it says, But Festus answered that Paul should be kept in Caesarea, and that he himself was going there shortly. Therefore, he said, Let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man to see if there is any fault in him. So good move by Festus, right? At least, you know, Paul is staying in Caesarea, he tells these guys, hey, look, if you got a case, then come down and present it. And, you know, there were, I had a couple thoughts thinking about it. Did Festus, um, did he know, um, you know, that there was an attempt on Paul's life prior to this? Did Felix tell him? Was there, you know, any kind of information shared? Um, you know, so I had a couple thoughts on that, but they're really not that important. Um, I think I just wrote them down for myself just as I was thinking through this. But in verses 18 through 20, I think it gives a real, um, you know, the real 
you know, the insight into this about um, Festus. And he's talking to Agrippa, but he says, when the accuser stood up, they brought no accusation against him of such things as I supposed, but had some question against him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who had died, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. And because I was uncertain of such questions, I asked whether he would be willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged concerning these matters. You know, in and, and those verses, and we're going to get to them, um, Festus is talking to Agrippa about, you know, the situation with Paul. So it seems to me that it just seemed obvious that he was just unaware of what was going on. You know, the, the Jews wanted, to, wanted him to go up to Jerusalem. He was already in Caesarea for whatever. And I, I think that it was really the Lord, once again, you know, just keeping, think, keeping Paul in a, in a safe place, and protecting him and just using Festus even in his not knowing um, to keep him there. So in verses 6 through 8 it says, And when they had remained among them more than ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought. And when he had come, and when he had come, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about and laid many serious complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. Hmm. Well, so that you know they're they're just piling up the complaints, but they have no proof. They have no proof at all. And while he, Paul, answered for himself, he said, Neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I have I offended in anything at all. So the Jews were quick to, to attack, you know, and they had all of these charges, but they didn't have any proof. They had no proof. And sensing the weakness of their case, Paul confidently answers with a simple denial of any crime against the law, against the temple, or against Caesar. So in verses 9 through 11, it says, But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, asked Paul and said, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? Hmm. <laughs> you, know, you know, trying to win the favor of the Jews, he's going to see if he can get Paul to agree. And it's interesting, you would think that, a, you know, Festus is the one in charge, but Paul's a Roman citizen. And Paul would have to agree to go to, he, he would have to be in agreement to go back up to Jerusalem to, to be tried for these charges. So Festus is asking him, and Paul, so Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you very well know. It just sense, you know, Paul is just confident. You know, I don't think he's, um, I just think he's just being just confident, just speaking the truth. And, um, you know, just trying to just be as, as in the light as he can and just, you know, without being rude or anything like that. He says, I have done no wrong, as you very well know. For if I am an offender or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. I mean, that's it's pretty commendable. I mean, he's just laying it out there. 
But if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. So that's it. End of story for the, you know, the, what a way, this is like the death blow to the Jews because now there is no, there is, there is nothing else legally that can happen to Paul. No more charges. I mean, I, I imagine they could go to Rome if they wanted to, to be a part of that trial there. But, um, you know, Paul um, just got himself out of the whole process by appealing to Caesar. So when he asks, are you willing to go, Festus asks him, are you willing to go to Jerusalem and be judged? You know, and you got to think the first thing that was going through Paul's mind is if they tried to kill me on the way from Jerusalem to here, chances are that they're going to try to do the same thing from here to there. And you know that he's, you know, he's praying and the Lord is speaking to his heart. I mean, I, it doesn't say it, but I have to, you know, believe that, you know, that Paul is, is just seeking the Lord. You know, he's, he's sensing that just isn't, this isn't a good thing. And he's not going to go to Jerusalem. You know, he uh, appeals to Caesar. And, you know, you know, just keep in mind that the last, well, chapter 23, the Lord told him he was going to Rome. You know, you wonder what's going through Paul's head and through his heart. And it's interesting. Now, Paul, the Lord wants to get Paul to Rome. And he, once again, he's going to use Rome to get him there. It's pretty amazing. So, and I really appreciate, you know, Paul's candor. You know, he's, if I've committed a crime, then I'm willing to die for it. But that's how confident he was that he didn't do anything. You know, he didn't commit a crime. It's not a crime, regardless of what anybody says, to preach the gospel. I mean, granted, in some countries you can get in a lot of trouble for it. But realistically, when you think about it, it's not a crime. This is what God's called us to do. We don't, I guess, I don't perceive it as a crime to share the gospel with somebody. I mean, I went to India, and you really can't preach the gospel on the street. But I talk to people about the gospel. I mean, it's... It's not a crime, you know, and that's all Paul is saying. I didn't do anything except in this particular instance when he started to talk about the resurrection that, you know, the Sadducees just kind of flipped out about it because they didn't believe it. Remember what happened, and then the Pharisees said, well, this, we don't find anything wrong with this guy because they believed in the resurrection. So it was, you know, a back-and-forth thing, but... You know, Paul is um, he's going to be appealing to Caesar. And I, I think he was justified in doing it. You know, Paul knew that his destination was Rome and not Jerusalem, and the fastest and safest way to get there was to appeal to Caesar. And that, you know, I mentioned verse, 20, um, verse 11 of chapter 23. Paul also knew that the Jews had not given up their hopes in killing him, so it was wise to stay in Roman custody. You know, he was in a safe place. He was able to have guests. He was able to have people come in, bring him things he needed. You know, why go back to Jerusalem? Why give in to the mob? You know, why, you know, really think about it. Why give in to the mob? You know, and that's so true today. Don't give in to that mob mentality or any of that junk. 
you know, just keep, keep pressing forward in your relationship with the Lord. You know, I like to stay attuned to what's going on, but at the same time, you know, I realize that um, I cannot do anything to change the political scenery except pray. You know, I, I might have an idea, I might have thoughts, but, um, you know, they're nice to just kind of hang around and have coffee or have lunch and kind of exchange with one another. But, you know, all of that stuff is so far out of our realm of having any influence. But you know what? God is in control, and God has called us to pray for those in authority over us. You know, we think we have it. We think that it's bad for us. I mean, think about Paul. Think about time back then for, for the church, where if they didn't like you, they just killed you. Or they just, you know, they put you in prison. Right? I mean, and they had nothing. They had no voice. So, I mean, really, in God's infinite wisdom, Paul is a Roman citizen. When you think about how important that is, um, in the scheme of things, you know, how this, this, his whole citizenship is used um, to get him where God wants him. You know, God's, God's plan is unfolding. And what's amazing about the book of Acts that I think is that we get to see it. We get to see it from start to finish. You know, God starts, you know, obviously the church is birthed. We get to see the church grow. We get to see how and why the church grew, what they did to grow, what they did um, for it not to grow and to get, you know, get themselves in a little bit of trouble. You know, the book of Acts is really just so amazing when it comes to that. And, you know, we don't live back then, I mean, but it's the same today. You know, the church is still here. The Holy Spirit is still here. You know, God is still using the church. And, you know, we're just a continuation of what we're reading about the things that we're reading about tonight. You know, taking a stand for the gospel. You know, not, not taking a back step to anyone when it comes to the truth of the gospel. You know, no matter who we talk to, sharing the truth of the gospel. So it's, it's really a, we're privileged. We're privileged. By appealing to Caesar, Paul was exercising his right as a citizen. Good move by Paul, because going back to Jerusalem wasn't an option because God already told him that, you know, he had already accomplished what he wanted in Jerusalem. He was going to Rome. You know, what has God said to us? What has God, what did God, you know, what's God saying to you as, as you're moving forward in your life? Is God directing you to go in a certain direction? Or are you kind of hesitant because of this or because of that? You know, I mean, we have, we have a beautiful picture of God's faithfulness right before us. And, you know, God is, 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 hasn't changed, right? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the encouragement that I want to leave with you guys is that God is in control. Right? You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, you have the Word of God. And I just want to encourage you, if God has called you to do something, and there are some roadblocks or there are some bumps along the way, you know, just keep moving forward. Just keep moving forward. God is going to be faithful to either remove them or give you the grace to endure them 
whatever it, whatever it is, he's going he's gonna to work that into your life. And he's, you're going to see that. You're going you're gonna to see it as plain as day as God directs you. And, you know, that, that, should, that should excite you. It really should. It should excite you. Because, you know, God is for you. Who could be against you? And when you think of the promises of God, when you think of the privilege that we have to share the gospel, Verse 12, and we'll we'll stop here. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, You have appeared to Caesar. To Caesar you shall go. So Paul now is going to spend a little more time in Caesarea, but now it's even going to get more exciting. Now Paul is going to start this journey um, to Rome. And man, it's going to be... it's going to be quite a ride. Um, we're going to see him gain favor with the Roman centurion that's on the ship that they're on, with the crew. I mean, God is going to use Paul in some really miraculous ways. And then when they're shipwrecked, you guys know they're shipwrecked at Malta, and, you know, all of the things that happen there, people getting saved, God, I mean, it's, it's going to get exciting. I'm telling you, they should. They should make um, like a movie out of this. You know, like uh, what are they, what are, what, when there's a season of programs, what is it, like eight or ten of them or something? Could you imagine now that the season starts, the new season, and here is, you know, Paul is boarding the ship, getting ready to go to Rome. You know, and you know, the, you know, it's nice, it's a sunny day, and things are just great, and you know, the journey starts. And just for all the twists and the turns and the things that are going to happen, the miracles that God is going to do. Uh, you know, I really believe that the centurion on that, that ship, when they, you know, that I, I got to believe that he gets saved. I mean, these, these Roman soldiers, the, the people on that ship, I mean, it's amazing. So um, it's a lot to look forward to. And um, I think Thursday, am I feeling it? So Thursday, we're uh, going to pick up right here in Acts 25.12. All right. And um, just join in this adventure that Paul is having um, on his way to Rome. All right. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your your word and and God just for preserving this and um, Lord, these aren't stories for us. This is history, real stuff that um, happened in the early church to a man, um, the Apostle Paul, a man who was willing uh, to answer the call that, that you um, gave him on that road to Damascus. And uh, Lord, um, thank you so much for calling us as well. And God, help us to be as faithful as Paul was, not being... Um, distracted or discouraged or um, to be sidetracked, but just to stay the course. And um, as things uh, seem to get rough for Paul, he just seemed to seek you more. And God, we just see your hand in every aspect of uh, Paul's ministry and the growing of the church. So uh, God, we thank you that you haven't changed and that you would do that for us as well as uh, we live out our lives um, here and um 2022, just serving you, um, serving the church, Lord, just uh, wanting to please you 
um, uh, with the way we live out our lives, God. So fill us to overflowing with your spirit, Lord. Continue to guide us and direct us. Give us the grace that we need. And Lord, we, uh, we just pray for the rest of our night to get us home safe. And Lord, should you tarry that um, we would have just a blessed day uh, in you tomorrow. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.